having people around you who are smart will tell you, <laughs> you, you need to start, you need to start cooling down. Oh, now it's time. You need to stop <laughs> because on my own, I didn't get there. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why starting a company is more like a science than an art these days, what are the most important systems you should build for your business, and how to use customer feedback and the marketplace to determine what products to create next. Before the show, I wanted to chat about Exchange Marketplace. It's Shopify's marketplace to buy and sell businesses. In addition to browsing businesses that are up for sale, you can now gift a business to an aspiring entrepreneur in your life for as little as $50. Visit exchangemarketplace.com slash categories slash gift dash a dash business for more information, or you can go to the show notes to get the link as well. Today, I'm joined by John Cascarano from Beast. Beast creates grooming and personal care products for you and other bees of all kinds of smell, feel, and experience, and was started in 2015 and based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so the uh, business, the idea behind the business, all started back from a passion of yours to create a specific type of brand. Tell us more about where the, where the idea, where the motivation behind the business came from. Yeah, some, sometimes I say it came from uh, early middle age, but it uh, it kind of came from a combination of things. I mean, I was I was uh, working on, in my prior business, which was um, uh, you know personal care products more for women, and you know this this goes back over a decade now. And and at the time, I just saw uh, I saw guys starting to to become more interested in in grooming and personal care products. Guys were the beard trend started happening. Um, but beyond that, I, you know, guys just started, started kind of up in their, their, their grooming game as, as we say now at Beast. But also I was, I was kind of in my, you know, getting into my late thirties, uh, you know, life, a lot of responsibility. And I was, I was looking for a combination of, uh, of things I wasn't really finding out there in the marketplace. So, you know, something, something really, I say it kind of started in the shower, um, but just something that would just kind of wake me up, you know, turn it up. Just, uh, just kind of, and it was really kind of a hobby. I was like, all right, we got all these women's products. Let's take some of the best stuff that's happening there. And some really good stuff was happening there. And let me just, let me like crank it up. Let me like turn up the eucalyptus, turn up the peppermint and just kind of like wake me up in the shower. And it, that, that's kind of where it started. Yeah. And this entrepreneurial journey of yours started before that. You kind of hinted at it a bit. Tell us more about that. Tell us about all of the different kind of ventures you've started in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always... I don't know when I was a little kid, something happened, and and I I always had kind of this ang- anxiousness to to do something different. And and, and I, I go back to elementary school. I, we we my friend and I we made little bracelets and would sell them to other kids. And we set up a little booth and would sell them to at a fair. We sold them to parents. So that was the first venture, <laughs> little little yarn bracelets. But then uh, you know, flash forward to college, some friends and I we started a magazine on campus, and this is like. 19, you know, 99 at this point. So, um, other people were doing tech startups and, and we did, we did a magazine on campus and, uh, and it was called uh, mental floss and, and, uh, worked on that for a while. Um, I ended up going to law school, um, of all things, my two friends kept, kept working on it and ended up turning into a, a, a good media property. Uh, I went to law school. Um, as I say, I paid, uh, paid $150,000 to meet my, my wonderful wife, um, <laughs> and, uh, practiced law five years. And, uh, then the financial crisis happened. And so I, you know, was there, I remember being in a big building in Philly in a big firm, uh, looking, watching the stock market drop and being like, well, I might, <laughs> things are changing. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I basically out of that, I started a new business and that was that, that prior business I referenced that was, you know, products for women, um, really, really with my father-in-law, who was a, um, a dermatology professor at NYU and uh, had a private practice up in New York. And uh, initially it started just to just to meet, meet a need for, for his patients, a lot of whom were women. Um, and then eventually out of that grew, uh, grew Beast. 
Yeah, so that that's definitely an amazing journey. So you mentioned that you you went to practice law for five years before jumping back into startup life. And I think this is kind of like a path that others might have taken where they might have had some entrepreneurial pursuits early on and decide to you know, take a different path and then decide to come back. Talk to us about that transition back that you hit the ground kind of running or like how do you transition back from, I guess, a more typical, I guess, job to into back into the startup life? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess there's no easy way to do that. I, I, they're very different, you know, especially going from a law firm where it's, it's, it, there's a very distinct career path that um, a lot of people thrive in. And, and I, 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 I really didn't. I kind of felt where some people really grow, I, I felt really stifled, but it was really consistent. <laughs> and, and, um, and so moving to a startup life, all of a sudden there was no structure. The structure was whatever I would make of it. I mean, there was the first day it's like, wow, I can do anything I want. And at the same time, it's scary, right? You could do anything you want. If you don't do that, you don't make the right moves and you, it's on you. <laughs> it's all on you now. I mean, you are, you know, heavy lies a crown. You started a business. Uh, congratulations. Uh, and uh, best of luck, you know? Um, so I think, I think, I think you really have to know yourself you have to think about, it's more of a science now than I think, I think over time starting a business has become more of a, a study and a pursuit and a science. And you, you know, think about your habits, establish good habits, because in the end, a lot of what the books say you should do, you should, you should do. And, um, I stumbled a lot at first getting back into it. I liked, I played golf. Um, I had some savings from being a law, a, a lawyer and, um, quickly, I went through those savings and quickly had to learn how to create a, a business that could make money. And it was a really, I also had a newborn baby at the time. So it was a really, it went from being a really fun time and exciting time to a really real time, really fast. Yeah. And I think one important thing you did here was kind of highlight that there are benefits to both the kind of corporate, the more traditional path and the startup path. And it really is about what's the right fit for you, right? that one might seem attractive, but that you have to make sure you're um, kind of reflective in deciding what's right for you. Um, now, you mentioned that it's now becoming, starting companies now becoming more of a science. I think there's an interesting take on it. Can you speak more about this? Like, what, 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 what would it feel like when you, in the early days, I guess, when you first starting your first companies compared to now? Yeah. Uh, at the time, especially in, con you know, consumer brands, and I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the listeners probably have some, a lot of them are going to have some kind of product like, like I do. And I, I backed into it out of fun, really. You know, I was, you know, I talked about, well, I wanted to create something that woke me up in the shower, wakes me up, makes me feel something. And that's good. That's a good, that's a good start. Um, and ultimately you're trying to get to product market fit. Well, there are now books and books and books and classes on product market fit. <laughs> How do you identify? It's a, it took me like five years to get there. You know, the original brand, this original brand was called Sasquatch with the tagline, Tame the Beast. <laughs> and then, and we, and we got a cease and desist over Sasquatch <laughs> and then started r rolling with just Tame the Beast. And, you know, all, all along the way, the, the formulas are changing. I'm making little improvements, little improvements, listen, listening to customers. And th but this is playing out over like years. And then ultimately, we also had a trademark on Beast and ultimately started really, you know, you know what, what's the, what's the, what do customers really like? What motivates them the most? What gets them most excited about the brand? And we, you know, we did surveys. We did, you know, we, you, you hear a lot through customer support, like over, just give it enough time and the customers will tell you what you should do. And ultimately, the brand became just just beast. I mean, we still put tame the beast on some products, but but there's something about just that word beast that's really number one. I'm really lucky to have gotten a trademark on that um, in in personal care products. But um, number two, um, um, what what could that name be? You know, at its at its at its highest and best use. And it took like years and years to really hone in on that. But I think in our case, we could have expedited it by doing more surveying and potentially, um, you know, focus groups, you know, what there's different tools you can use to, to try to expedite that process. But in the end, for me, it was years and years of just listening to customers, taking feedback and 
making incremental improvements. Yeah. So lots of, um, a couple of questions actually coming out of this. So you mentioned surveying and focus groups and what you're getting at is that there's kind of like these rules to the road or maybe these processes that's, uh, that are well-defined that, that at least will, will not necessarily guarantee your success, but are almost like required in order for you to be successful. So if you were to start all over again, you know, given that you do have this kind of serial entrepreneurship and that if you were to start business again today, what are some of the most important kind of rules of thumb that are like details or processes that you have to do and you have to get right in order for you to um, to even be for you to even be possible to be successful? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, beyond some of the branding things, which are super important, and within that, there's there's def it's like both maybe a science and an art or a craft. You know, a great name, <laughs> great name helps. You know, you need all the social handles, URL. Consistency is super important. Um, people are gonna, people need to find you. They need to be able to find you on social and on, on find your website and have it all be clear, consistent. You know, I've read that a brand is a position in your mind, and that that just that consist. You know, we're, we're we need ease. You know, and we want it to be fast. And if people can find you easily, regardless of what your name is, if it's just that consistency is super important. And then, you know, if you're if you're in tangible goods, you know, people need to. You, you need the systems of delivering the product to them. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the website the host provider, you know, you need, you need good fulfillment. Fulfillment's probably one of those things that gets overlooked a lot, but it's really, you know, the, one of the, it, it, that is um, one of the most important things is your customer's experience with your brand after they've had the digital experience, right? And then customer service, um, marketing, every one of these things becomes a department in and of itself. And then within marketing, there's new customer marketing versus, versus existing customer marketing. Um, some people call it remarketing, but they're really, they're different experiences. What's, what do you want people's first experience with the brand to be versus their next experience? And each one, you're going to develop systems, email, text. There's all these customer communication channels that are, that we have and are changing. Maybe it's, you know, these days people are using a little more text than email, but email is still critical. There's your paid ads and e around each there's choices, you know, apps, uh, providers. Um, it's the same with fulfillment. There's, there's a million fulfillment providers and many of them don't do a great job. And we're still, it's an ongoing process to get that right um, for us. Yeah. So you mentioned consistency, almost like methodical or measured in your customer's experience of your brand. Now, how do you make sure that this happens, that, that you are being consistent? You know, I think when you're just you yourself and you're starting a business, you know, hopefully it's easier to be consistent when it's just you. But as you scale up, you grow a team and there's just more things that are not in your immediate reach or immediate purview. How do you make sure that the brand stays consistent? Yeah. It, it, having, I think good people and good systems are, are, is the answer. You know, it's when you when you start, when, when you start out, when I started out, I did customer service, I did marketing, I, I was every department <laughs> and, and you, you, you can, you have a direct link to your customer. So when someone has a problem, you know, the canary in the coal mine is, is, is a lot of times customer service, <laughs> you know, telling you and being able to respond fast and if you're doing it yourself early on, it's great, you know, but then all of a sudden you got people and systems that you have to, you have to have to scale. And I, I think it's, it's okay. Having good tools, it's, you know, you have to start looking at metrics more and more, you know, what is, what is our response time on customer service? And a lot of the, you know, there's plenty of apps. We use an app to help with, with customer service. There's a lot of, there's a whole ecosystem of apps, you know, you kind of, pick one and roll with it and look at, look at the analytics um, and look at the reviews and have systems of seeing those reviews in, 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 vol in volume. So where you're reviewing them, product reviews, site reviews, um, everything public facing about your brand and then potentially, you know, surveys that we, we've started to do that more, just simple surveys, um, sometimes just, you know, a text or an email to customers you know, how, how, how was you, how was your experience? Is there anything we can help with just with no real purpose around it other than to be helpful? Uh, you learn a lot. 
Yeah. So the, I want to make it sure this is like very descriptive and tangible for the audience. Can you talk to us about the systems that, that you have? Or maybe maybe we'll start off by saying like, what are, how do you identify what system to build or to focus on first as you're building out your business? Yeah. I mean, I probably the biggest decision is is the, the you know, e-commerce platform. Um, and this is Shopify. We use Shopify. I think, you know, there's a time... Uh, where there, I think there was, there were a lot, there were a lot more options and building an e-commerce platform. A lot of people, some companies would even do it, build their own, you know, from scratch. Um, so, but that's, that's the biggest decision. I mean, let's, you know, we've obviously chosen Shopify. So that's, you know, let's say you, you roll with that. Like maybe that's the iPhone of, of, of platforms. Well, then, then you have your apps and app, just like, just like with the iPhone, I, I look at, you know, there's like a, a robust app store. And every person, and I've, I've consulted to some friends too. And there's always this, you reach this moment where are you have your brand and what, what, what apps do you need, <laughs> you know, and, and you need a developer and you need a, you know, someone to, to build your website and there's going to be choices. You know, do you pay someone to start it from scratch or do you make a choice? So like customer service, we use, we use gorgeous. Uh, it, it's, it's a good, it's one of a number of customer service apps, but um, it sucks in. You, you you know you, you really you have to go through it and you'll you, you almost sometimes you just learn out of necessity and find a solution out of kind of volume the volume tells you what to do so you start having facebook comments you start having text responses you start having emails and all of a sudden it's not manageable for a small team so okay you need you need something to suck it all in so there there's there, there's a problem and there's a solution for it and so um that's just that's just one example, but around um, other things, you know, fulfillment. Um, there's that's 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 a really important really important early decision for a lot of people. Is that helpful? Yeah, and I think one of the other key aspects of this is around when to jump onto tools. Right, I think there's um, I see sometimes pretty often where it's a brand new company, brand new business and they got lots of tools right off the bat. How do you know when to, to invest in tools? And not, not just like paying for the tools, but like you obviously got to do the training and then there's just a lot involved right. in investing in tools. Tell us about how you make the decision. And money too. And, and, and each app may or may not have a charge. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's like the, you know, I, like I've, I have three daughters and, you know, like, you know, we're, we kind of try to manage their, screen time and it's like a similar thing and sometimes you get the in-app purchase and before you know it, you're like man this was free but um now it's a lot of time and then i'm sitting there trying to install this thing and get it set up for them i'm like man i've spent all this time on this uh yeah it's 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 a challenge right like we at our company you know we have there's there's a number of us now and we you know my our cfo for example he's really kind of conservative doesn't want to spend an unnecessary dime you know doesn't want to introduce more complexity so it's a trade-off whereas i'm inclined to try the latest and greatest shiny model and i think it's i definitely think it's a balance when I, through experience i've learned just just be 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 cautious make sure there's a true need for this and then there's a decision you know like maybe you don't outsource it. Do you outsource? Do you not outsource? Do you get an app? Do you not get an app? And sometimes we ask our developer too, what, what if we just, is there a simple solution rather than installing a new app? And there's always challenges, right? You install a new app, installation process, integration, before you know it, you're banging your head against the, the wall with this or that aspect of it that you didn't anticipate. So it's, it's uh, I, I think, I think, um, I think you just have to be, cautious and, 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 um, and not overly stress it. Like you're not missing. That's the thing. I think it's fear of missing out, right? Every we all assume that there's some magical app that'll do this or that. And there's none. Look, man, if you got a good product and you know, and you can, you can get in front of people, those, that's the two, the two hardest things, <laughs> making people aware of y'all thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, that's number one, you know, once, once, once you're all up and running, you can have every shiny app in the world, but if no one knows you exist and no one wants to buy what you got, it doesn't matter. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that that's important that that the, the kind of gear, the tool, it, it should not be a crutch if it, or it cannot be a crutch if the products or the brand is not something that people want or or that they that they're aware of. And you, you mentioned earlier that that how it's now more of a science, but in but you've learned it kind of the hard way. You've gone the kind of long way where you're stumbling through and trying to figure it out. And when you're going through that, you know, for also for listeners out there that are also kind of going through this, where they're stumbling, just trying to figure out one thing at a time, one day at a time. What helped you, or what what let you keep going to, especially when you didn't have like as much of a blueprint as as you're seeing these days? Back when you're just kind of stumbling in the dark, what helped you keep going? Yeah, uh, a, I think that goes deep. <laughs> I think that goes deeper than, I, you know, I think, I think fear of failure, I think, um, and I've thought about that, you know, why, why do, why do, you know, uh, I think uh, wanting to achieve something, um, wanting to, I think it's personal things that, 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 that pushed me on when, um, when even some people might have advised me not to keep going, um, you know, in a really competitive sector, um, you know, you go to your any store and there's no lack of shampoos on the shelf, so it's it's not easy. Uh, it's not an, it's not like why well, I, I you know we we invented something that didn't exist or that you know it was a very very competitive sector, um, and I think it's really just uh, believing that there was a believing in our, the brand too, you know, that, that there was something about the beast brand and the name and the, the feeling, I think positive customer, customer feedback and reviews, uh, help, you know, that, that you hear, you have customers who kind of get it, you know, what you're trying to do and you're making them feel better. You know, you're, you're, you're improving their life just a little bit. They go in the shower and they have a, a more elevated shower experience in our case. And that's, that feels good. And that's the, you know, having, having some kind of purpose beyond, and then over time, the brands evolved some too, to incorporate, um, an eco-friendly side too. Like, you know, I growing up, I, um, I, I grew up in South Florida and, and I, I spent a lot of time at, at the beach snorkeling. I was like a little, little beach rat. And, uh, there were coral reefs there that aren't there now just straight it's not no it's not that they bleach they bleach they're gone there's there's sand and so you know that you know trying to incorporate something that made me kind of sad to something positive with what i was doing i think that helped too so having a purpose to what you're doing beyond just beyond just the making of money um so now we're starting to just reduce plastic in our in our product line and just look looking for ways to reduce to deliver a product people want and need but minimize the impact. So I think, I, I think a combination of those of all those things uh, is what what drives me. Mm. And you mentioned one thing too about what started all of this was you. You said that I think the words were like you're anxious about wanting to create something. Like there's this like thing bubbling inside of you that you want to just create things out in the world. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And I've heard this kind of um, maybe dichotomy between the creator versus like the CEO or the manager, the creating versus the scaling and maintenance and maturity kind of side of the the spectrum on, on what you tend to focus on. As someone that is a creator that, that wants to create, have you found this transition difficult to switch into more of a, um, you know, if you already created the thing, the product that already exists, now it's all about kind of scaling and getting it out there. Did you have you encountered you know issues I guess with this transition? Yeah, I have. Yeah, um, you know, early on, as you said, trying to create something people want, like Y Combinator's motto is "Make something people want," <laughs> and the, the the process of doing that is is different from having a business where okay, people want it. How to make it more efficient? How to grow it? How to increase brand awareness? Those are you know, more execution things. Whereas the other one, the first stage is more of a creative, a creative enterprise. And, um, I, I, you know, now I have a board of advisors, uh, board of directors, and it's, it's learning to report to other people. All of a sudden it, it, it introduces a certain level of, um, you know, it's having a boss, <laughs> having bosses, <laughs> you know, you, you started, started this thing, 
maybe bucking against uh, being an established company organization. And then you're creating, uh, you, I mean, I aspire to having something that is established. So, and bit by bit, it becomes bigger and more, more regimented and, and structured and you need systems. So it's, it's, it's been, I almost think I could answer this better. I mean, it has been hard. It, it, it is, it is a hard transition. And I think it's, it's, I've had to like, I've talked to a lot of people, I've talked to other people who have made the transition. You know, it's good. It's good. All I could say is just have talked to other people who have been there, done that. Yeah. And maybe is it easy to recognize when you need to kind of shift focus to work on those skill sets of execution versus is it clear that 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 line between, okay, we're, we're done kind of not done, but like we're, we are, we should now devote more time to execution and making it more efficient and getting in and fulfilling and delivering and, and scaling. Is it clear when that, that time needs to happen? I would say a lot of people and myself included, I felt, okay, I'll, I'll speak from my experience. I, 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 I overcreated, right. I, I created too many products. And you, you get into a certain mindset of creating and it's, and we created some really cool stuff. Like some of our, one of our most recent products is a great product, Beast Goldwash. You know, here we have the Olympics coming up. Uh, we've got an a, Olympian on the, on Team B. She owns shares in the company. Uh, she's going to be in the Olympics. Kelly O'Hara on the U.S. women's soccer team. But I think there's also a real argument that maybe we shouldn't have created Beast Gold only because we, we have from a, an efficiency standpoint and it's scalability and all these business lessons, I had people telling me, you know, stop, you need to stop creating, <laughs> you know, this is look, look at the business, look at the dollars and cents. Don't run out of money. <laughs> you run out of money, game over. And, 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 and profit does matter. And I think I overcreated. I, I knew it was time to stop because I had people tell me you got to stop smart people, finance, finance guys. And listen, you got it. You got to stop. You got to shift and having people around you who are smart will tell you, <laughs> you, you need to start, you mm. need to start cooling down. Oh, now it's time. You need to stop <laughs> because on my own, I didn't get there. Mm. And I mean, this kind of attitude, I feel like what could be, I'm surprised that it's coming up now and didn't just kind of end the journey earlier for you. If the focus <laughs> is on overcreate, if you're so prone to overcreation, like what was happening in the early days? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it nearly... I, you know, I, I, this brand originated on Amazon. So on Amazon, I think it's, it's interesting. Like you look at a lot of brands that launch, I would say maybe more cleanly on their own website. Maybe they only have three SKUs. Maybe they only have five SKUs. Maybe they only have yeah. one SKU, right? But on Amazon, it fed, uh, ironically, it fed my urge to create and kind of fill holes on Amazon. Oh, this, this, there's nobody doing something quite like this. Let me launch that. Let me launch that. You're right. I nearly, it nearly ended the journey. Do that mentality. Definitely. Um, you know, I, I did have, um, a marketplace for the things, but not everything sold. And so, okay, so let's create, if we do this, it'll sell. <laughs> um, but I definitely nearly ran out of money a number of times. And I, I think for me, and I, hopefully people are listening, will avoid that. We'll find a way yeah. to do it I, you know, the more methodical approach that we're taking now is what are, you know, now we have customers telling us what they really want. We can, we can listen and we know what to make next. We plan more in advance, have a budget, you know, kind of be more responsible and then kind of focus the creativity around a specific project that that's a much smarter approach, but, mm. and yet I've seen, I've so many, I see so many friends with businesses and they just like create, 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 create. And yeah. so. Um, you need to be self-aware of that and, and develop, have good people around you that will rein that in. Yeah. Like maybe there is, there are pockets of creativity that you can express by going deep onto like a, a product or, you know, I've heard people saying that you get creative with, with many things along the kind of supply chain that that's not just about new SKUs, right? I heard um, a great quote that some created when we, when we went to go do a commercial, he said, you know, I heard. Go, give me the freedom of a well-defined creative brief. And I thought that was a great phrase. It's like, you know what? There is something liberating mm. in knowing we are creating around this. Here's the box we're playing in. Uh, let's do that. Yeah, there's a kind of a speed element to that too, right? When you know the boundaries or you're kind of protected by the boundaries, you're not as, you can move faster and maybe try more things within those, those boundaries. 
Yeah. Now, now you um, mentioned that these days your product development begins with um, the customers telling you what, what they want. So tell us about that. You know, I imagine you're getting tons of emails, tons of feedback. How do you decide which ones are actually uh, kind of worth pursuing more? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a combination of, of, of listening to the customers and looking at the marketplace you know, you reach a certain size, people start replying to your emails. And I would say anyone here, I'll like, we'll almost give people free stuff just to, just for feedback. You know, I mean, just, it's so invaluable. People who, especially the people who, I would say this, like not all feedback is created equal, right? Like, so the customers who Mm. maybe have, they clearly know the product line, they've tried a lot of stuff and then have that, that they write something thoughtful that's where you kind of, and you hear that from multiple customers and you're like, okay, yeah, there's something there. And then you look, maybe look, go back out and look at the marketplace and say, yeah, there, there is a need for this product next. And this is, this makes a lot of sense. And, and then you have to look at the R and D side too. Like how hard is it going to be to make it? How long will it take? What will it cost? Um, so I think it's kind of a, a given and a give and take in that way. Hey, Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Mm, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned that you look at the customer feedback and the marketplace together. Can you give a, tell us more about that or give an example of, of how you use those two together to decide if it's you know, worth pr- product creation? Yeah. So um, now there are a lot of beard oils on the market. Um, that's one example. There was a time where there weren't many at all. Now the oils were out there, like something like argon oil or jojoba oil. Those are great oils for for hair, head hair or beard hair. They're very kind of smoothing. Um, women women knew this before guys, and then the beard trend happened. But now there's like a ton of beard oils out there, you know. And so it's like, well, yeah, we've got we've definitely had people ask for maybe. Uh, different varieties of beard oils, but is it, is it worth investing much more into, you know, is it core to our product line now? Where's the trend going? You know, kind of analyze like what, how much, I mean, it's the business side, really. You kind of have to balance the customer request with, with the business you're in. And, and that maybe that's one Example. There are other. There's one or two other examples on the pod. I'm going to save, but for me, because we're we've definitely heard, had products that we know is like the next great product to make. There's stuff happening, um, in in maybe other 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 sectors. Maybe like you know, we we've actually kind of moved toward being more of a unisex brand, and we have some unisex offerings, and it's kind of so now we we started as a men's brand, but we've kind of moved men's men's to unisex. And I think there's some products that, that are in the women's area that are really, I think both women want them cheaper. Um, there's sometimes what's called like a pink tax. There's articles on it out there where, where, you know, women will actually buy a product from a unisex or men's brand just because it's cheaper because they know it's the same damn ingredients. And there's just this premium being charged. It's incredible. Like that. And so I think there's, there's an overlap of what the customer is telling us and uh, like for skincare, for guys that women want cheaper too, um, where there's kind of a market opportunity and the custom, our customer base, a lot of our customers saying, hey, make something like this. Mm, that makes sense. And, you know, speaking of the, the, the move towards more of a unisex, unisex brand, you had that experience with uh, your previous company, Lock in Maine, and you mentioned that you did, I don't think you had much ex- experience in this field, right? How did you, how did you even get started when you're entering into a, a, a field or category that, you know, you're not a customer, you're not a, an end user, and you might not have that much experience behind like, How do you even approach an industry like that? Yeah. Uh, with, with dumb optimism, you know, (laughs) just, just, uh, uh, I I think, uh, being, uh, being bold, you know, being, um, um, just wanting to learn. I think, I think just kind of searching for opportunity. Sometimes that's all it takes. Just, you're just look, look, uh, you're just looking for opportunity. You're hearing, uh, and we, you you kind of dive into something and I, I definitely dive into the pool 
first, whereas other people might check how deep the water is. I just, I'll just go in, you know, and that's, that's what happened. I just, I just kind of jumped in and, uh, for better or worse. And we care that lock. I mean, we carried other people's products to start. So we were a pure retailer curator of specific things that to start, you know, women in New York city wanted and we're having a hard time finding. So we were, we were still serving a need. Like that's opportunity. You hear the need, um, that's there. And you have, you know, my, in this case, uh, you know, people telling me, oh, this, there's, there's a market here. Um, but then over time you, you learn the industry and it takes you in a different direction. So I started learning, you know, I got to know some celebrity stylists. I was like, well, how'd you make it? Like you, you launched this brand, like you're not a chemist. How'd you do it? <laughs> and, uh, eventually just cultivating relationships led to me having a relationship with a lab, a cosmetics lab. And I, I think sometimes you just get, if, if people just, we, we all kind of want to see each other succeed, you know, even I'm really competitive, but I, I also really want people, everyone else to succeed. So that, it, it, you know, it took some, not, not the first lab, but, but maybe like the third or fourth lab, uh, they just, they, they, they picked up on that. And they started working with me, even though I wasn't paying them anything or didn't have a lot of money just because in part their business is that to, to, you know, they need the next latest and greatest brand, but, um, they also, also, I think just wanted to, wanted to see someone, an entrepreneur succeed. And then same with the formulation, like work bringing in a dermatologist to help advise me. And, and it kind of, it kind of went bit by bit like that, just out of my prior company until I was like, okay, you know, I think I have a unique brand here that people might, might want to buy. And, you know, one other thing that you, you, you moved into next, especially when you were starting or when you were starting uh, Beast was into becoming e-commerce director at a woman's apparel and accessories retailer company called Able. And you mentioned that you um, helped triple the company's online revenue in, in 12 months. Tell us more about that. Like, what was, what were you doing? What, how did you, how were you able to triple the, the revenue in just 12 months? Yeah. Yeah. So I had, so at that point in time, I had sold. Lock and Main. I sold that business. Beast existed, but was still, still, let's say, getting off the ground. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent sure um, how big it was going to be, and that I had really cracked it with that brand. And I, just a friend, introduced me to the CEO of of Able. And uh, their their websites live fashionable live fashionable or live fashionable dot com, and they I I I just fell in for their their mission. Um, they are, I believe, the first Tennessee B Corp, um, but at the time they were doing nearly a million dollars in revenue organically, <laughs> just off people word of mouth. Um, their national company just saw people talking about them and sharing them. And their website was having like 20 second load times. They had kind of a legacy WooCommerce site. And I just was like, you know, if you guys just sped up the site, improved it some and launched a little marketing around this mission, I think, I think, uh, I think this could grow really fast. And, um, this is, you know, Facebook ads pre, pre iOS changes this year, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, a little different world, but it was really just, I just saw simple things they could do. And they had a beautiful message too. You know, be their, their, their statement was, you know, beautiful products by women who have overcome. And, and that with a product image on a faster website with some, some good digital ads, they grew, they grew quickly. And their mission is to create jobs for women. It, you know, it's, it's a combined mission, like, like many B Corps, it's to yeah, make a profit like any company, but also uh, fulfill this social purpose. And I, I guess the other thing too is I walked in the office uh, the first day, and this this woman gave me a hug, and she had a whole history. You know, she had been recovered from addiction, and she was just so. I just remember that that day walking. In, I was like, all right, this this feels good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, a brand that had their company had a great story, great mission, and. You stepped in and just removed a lot of that that friction that that people were experiencing when they wanted to buy right from from the yeah. website. Yeah. So a lot of that is like um, 
I'm sure you carried over once you started uh, Beast. What else have you done to that that you feel like has had the the biggest changes in terms of growing the the, the brand in terms of getting people to be aware of it, to give it a shot, give it a try? What what what, what has worked for you guys? Yeah. So so the Beast brand, um, similar to Abel, you know, you have to. There's no magic. I think there was maybe a small period where it's like, hey, Facebook ads are these magical things. <laughs> and they kind of were for a period. But then I think a lot of people saw there is a limit. And then the seeker got out. And like any marketplace, prices go up and things change. So I, I, as always, uh, I think you have to, t- I've heard this, for, you know, 360 degree uh, approach to marketing. But uh, for us, we've, we've spent a lot of time creating content ourselves. Um, you know, if you go to our YouTube channel or, or Instagram account, like we, we've, we, we have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of images and videos going on. And that, that, you know, I think perhaps video is something I'd point to, um, creating. And there's, you know, again, it's like that whole conversation about, don't overcreate. <laughs> Be careful overcreating. Make sure you're not like just just spewing stuff out there. But uh, the right the right video with the right selling points of what's different about your product or service or and brand and can can go a long way. And then and then just you know sharing it organically and of course testing it in 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 ads in paid ads and just measuring conversions. Um, but but for us, yeah, we've we've created a lot of the videos ourselves, um, and we we've kind of dialed in on that process somewhere. I'll, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll start the script, I'll write the first script, you know, maybe in the shower, the idea comes, get out of the shower, go write it down, and then put but put it through a process where don't 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 send it to the team, <laughs> you know, sleep on that video, <laughs> make sure it's good because a lot of times, a lot of ideas we have in the in the light of day you're like ah it's not a good idea <laughs> so uh but for us i would say i'd say good good concise video content on brand um um and, and again now not not to over push our youtube channel but we, we spent a lot of time there and you can you can see some of the youtube.com slash tame the beast and you can see some of our some of our hits some of our misses <laughs> Uh, but we've that that's for us that's been a, a good a good area to focus. Yeah, talk to us about the, the angle then behind the the videos that that you're creating. You know, is it is it do you try to focus on making sure that the product is the center of attention, or like is is there some kind of storyline that you, you try to do? Like, how do you decide what's the right balance when you're creating videos specifically for for YouTube? Yeah, so it's and I would I, I look at video and and image assets and all of it as part of. Again, you you launch and create a new product. You're going to need all the assets to go with it. So, once you make that product decision to create, <laughs> there's a lot of work that that naturally follows. And so, new product, new collection. What are the set? What? Why did you launch that product? Why did we launch that product? What are the selling points? People have low attention spans. <laughs> you know three seconds, six seconds, eight seconds, you know, somewhere in there, um, differs a little by generation, but it's, it's short, no matter we're hyper, hyper smart as, as at at reviewing media. So you got to get to the point, you got to get to it quick and you have to really filter through what's really different about this product, which, what, what, what do people really want? And, And look at other people's commercials in the area. What are they, what are they like? We look at old spice, you know, not to plug, I hate plugging another brand, but Hey, you know, they've, they they revived a, a kind of a legacy grandfather brand and how they do it. What 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 are they touching on the commercials, um, and 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 how, what can we learn from that um, for us? So I think it's there's a lot to an effective commercial, and like for instance, one of our products is the extreme yop. It was actually the first product where I thought we had something. It was the extreme yop beard, hair, and body wash. And we're like, well, what's unique about this? Well, it's it's the feel, right? It's I mean, Beast. You put Beast on a bottle. What are people's expectations? And well, over time, I learned, you know, you expect something. You want to feel something. You want to smell something. You know, that's what it's about. Beast is an experience. 
So we said, okay, what, what, what's unique about this? All right. So, so we came up with some great copy for it. And, uh, I think that's one of the, one of the top videos on our YouTube channel, but it's, you know, there's this like husky voice and it's, uh, extreme yacht beard hair and body wash with an exhilarating eucalyptus tingle that's a nice little reward for being an adult and then like there's a roar and the other thing i'd say is think about a jingle too actually someone from png procter and gamble early on told me come up with a jingle you know because interesting so, so for us right now it's our roar you know we throw just a beast roaring which is actually a combination of a an elephant it's like three animals that are our, our sound wow. person like meshed together like a rhinoceros. He was just like playing with animals and meshing them together. He's like, I think this is it. This is the roar. I was like, that's it. That's the roar. At least it, it will be distinct when you hear it. I think that's the most important thing, right? Now I'm talking about the website. One thing that I noticed was um, this build a set uh, feature that you have on a website. Tell us more about that. What was the idea, the reason behind having a, a part of the website about building a, a set of um, products? Yeah, back at Able, actually, I saw that that um, people want customization. There's something, something, something sticky about that. People, those people who would customize, spend more time on the site. Um, they there was even data saying, like looking at different customer cohorts, that they were more loyal customers. The the more you kind of dig in with a brand. So, and for us. We have, we want people, we want to get people, part of the mission too that kind of drives us now is just, okay, reducing plastic. Okay, how do we do that? Okay, more reusable bottles. Okay, well, bottle refill. We got to get people to kind of change their ha habits incrementally. And and we want to capitalize on some of the other data around, you know, customers and, and loyalty and all that. So it's okay, that, that's kind of where it came from. But also just, to, it's just about trying to make it easy. And again, like you use the phrase reducing friction. Like, I think that's a lot of it too. The more friction we can take out of, because people come to the product line and it's like, you know, it's a full product line, shampoo, conditioner, soap, you know, lotions, uh, shaving products. Well, well darn, what, what, where do I get started? <laughs> it's like, here, let's make it easy on you. Start here, pick a bottle. We, we only we only got a couple. Pick one. All right, great. Pick a pouch. Oh, there's lots of stuff. What do I? So, so you just pick one, and then boom. It's trying to make it kind of a three step process of 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 getting people to kind of get into the product line easily, um, and 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 incrementally change their habits. Yeah, you know that that's definitely important or a, a great insight about how the more time people spend on the site customizing it uh, the stickier they are and also it's almost like a a uh, i guess as much as you can a store representative right talking them through what are the important things to to buy uh, in order for you to fully experience the the brand um, are, are there any other parts of the website that that maybe surprise you that have had a big either impact on conversions or that people spend a lot of time on so what's funny is i've seen this on a couple of sites that just the shop all <laughs> that that's often one of the highest converting uh pages just where it's like yeah, people just want to kind of see and scroll mm. and it sounds silly right shop all you just give you know what they can just kind of see the whole thing and scroll down um that and you know i think the um we definitely see people visit people later maybe in their their life cycle of purchasing start visiting like sustainability pages or about the brand pages um, also, also having, oh, well the quiz page, I don't know why, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, we have a quiz now and it's kind of a fun quiz, um, that we, where we try to pair you with, with one of our scents. So that's another, that's another great example. I think where people always try to think of like at Able too, both at Able and Beats, we did something where it was like a little fun for the, the customer to do. Um, but also like instructive. So, you know, we're taking people down the path of just answering simple questions. And then we recommend, some products and and it helps them kind of understand our our different sense. Um, so I would I would tell people I would encourage people to do try like a quiz um, with their customers. Awesome. And you know one interesting thing too that's on your website. I'm not sure if you're, you're you're testing this or if it's a permanent piece of your website, but it says here want a free gift from us, getting the email and optional phone number. But it doesn't really say what is the free gift. Is that was that on purpose? Yeah, we wanted flexibility to change it up. You know, yeah. it's like it's some, sometimes it's like an inventory management thing too. Or like, well, darn, 
We're out of those. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Now you mentioned earlier that you use an app like Gorgeous for for customer service. Are there any other apps that you use that that you can recommend to to uh, that, that you use to run the website or run the business that you recommend? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so we've going back to our app discussion earlier. You know, there's you know product reviews is a thing, right? And and early on. You may not want to invest a lot of money in product reviews, but at some point you start realizing like, look, we need to feed these reviews into Google. We, there's other, we need to maybe syndicate them to other places. So you, you, a good product review app, we maybe want functionality like sharing reviews so customers can easily share their review. So Yachtpo reviews to us was a good one. Um, and we actually, we're kind of like now all in on Yachtpo a little. We've got Yachtpo loyalty, We've got um, um, Yapo reviews, and um, we've 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 tested some with Yapo SMS. So we're, we kind of went all in on around the Yapo ones. But then also, uh, there's a, there's one Data Feed Watch, just a feed generator because you need that that one that one's a little that one's more affordable. It just generates allows you to generate a feed that you can spit into Google or Facebook or Pinterest. You know, there's other marketing channels, um, Bing where you might need to generate a product feed um, early on. That's that's a useful one too. And, oh, and Octane is a good one too for marketing. So that's like, um, and uh, I would say Klaviyo for email. I think Klaviyo has emerged as one of the top email ones. So, but um, Octane's kind of like email and text, but for Facebook Messenger. And that's kind of the problem that Octane solves. And I think that's a good one um, for people to look at. Awesome. So getbeast.com is the website. And I'll leave you this last question. What do you think is the area? What is the, the, the project that you want to focus the most time on over the next year? It's going to sound silly, um, but uh, fulfillment. <laughs> and here, here, here's an offer. If, if, if you go, if you're listening to the podcast and uh, you, know, you go place an order on our site, use code, I'm going to drop a code reference here. Use code beast, BEASTBOSS. Okay, code beast boss because you're you're the boss of of me, the beast, uh, or, or your own self as the beast. I don't know, but that'll give you twenty percent off. But if you then get the items and email me and tell me about your fulfillment experience, I'll, I'll send you another free thing. Like I'll I'll look at what you ordered and pick something else from our product line and send it to you. So just email me at John at Get Beast. Got um, I can't even speak now. John at Get Beast. <laughs> getboost.com. So buy something, use code BEASTBOSS, BEASTBOSS, save 20%, get the products, email me, just give me feedback, simple feedback on fulfillment, the unboxing that, and uh, I'll send you something extra free. It's no joke. You are very serious about your fulfillment. <laughs> so I appreciate the, the discount code for the audience. And I'm sure people can take you up on that offer and excited to hear what kind of findings you get out of this, this experiment. So again, getbeast.com is a website. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.